So today we're going to learn a Sicha on Parshish Tetzava. It's from volume 21. And in volume 21 on Parshish Tetzava, there are two Sichas. We're going to learn the first one of the two. This is a Sicha that was published in 1981 for this week's Parsha. And it was a talk that the Rebbe spoke on Shabbos Parshat Tzava 1980. Now, the reason why this Sicha is a major breakthrough is because it's going to give us a revolutionary way of understanding what in the world happened in this week's Parsha that we don't have the mentioning of Moshe's name. It says the Baal HaTorim is one of the famous commentaries on the Chumash. And the Baal HaTorim says that in this week's Parsha is the only Parsha from when Moses was born until the last book of the Chumash, Chumash Dvarim, which Deuteronomy Dvarim is really only a recap. Moses makes a recap of the first four books of the Torah. So from when Moshe is born, pretty much till we hear about his passing, every single Parsha from when he's born mentions his name. But it's ironic that this week's Parsha, Tetzava does not mention his name. And he explains the reason. Because in Parsha Kisisa, which is next week's Parsha, it turns out, we have the story of the Jews who sinned with the golden calf. And over there, Hashem says to Moshe, look at these people. I take them out of Egypt. I make all these miracles, the splitting of the sea, everything, you know. And they turn their back on me. They make a miscalculation. You were supposed to come back down. That's it. They decide God's over. And they make themselves a new God, the God, the golden calf. So therefore, this is so insulting to me. And Hashem says, that's it. I'm going to finish up these people. Enough is enough. And Moshe Rabbeinu puts up an argument with Hashem. And he pulls out his strongest argument by, so to speak, putting God in the corner, so to speak. And he says, here's the deal. If you're going to wipe out my people, I'm the leader of these people. If you're going to wipe out these people, then erase my name out of your book that you wrote. In other words, out of the Torah. That's a very powerful statement, Moshe saying. Moshe understands how much God loves him. And he's telling Hashem that if you're going to take, kill all the, all the Jews, I don't need to have my name in your Torah. That great honor of being mentioned all over the Torah, I don't need it. Now we know that there's a rule that a curse from a wise person, meaning from a righteous person, that says something, in other words, something that comes out of his mouth, even if it sounds like a negative kind of comment, just saying it to you know push his point, the bottom line is, when a chacham, a holy person, says this, it has to be fulfilled in some way, shape, or form. How do we see that what Moshe said should be fulfilled? And the answer is, of course, Hashem says, no problem, I'm going to forgive them. I'm not taking your name out of the Torah. That I won't do. So He forgives us. But since Moshe said those words, erase me from your book, it has to be fulfilled in some kind of way. How is it fulfilled? By taking Moshe's name out of one portion, one parsha. In other words, every parsha is like a standalone Torah. 
So by taking Moshe's name out of one parsha, it fulfills what Moshe said, take my name out. By the way, this idea, we find this several times in the Torah, when somebody said something, uh, one of the forefathers or any of these kind of people said something, it had to be fulfilled in some way. And this is where we see it in our context here. Moshe says, take my name out, and we fulfill it by taking it out of one parsha. Now, every single, we have a rule that every single thing in the Torah is very precise and particular. So we must say that the fact that it was chosen for Parsha Tetzaveh to be the chosen Parsha, that we should find the fulfillment of take my name out of your Torah, which is coming only in next week's Parsha really, but it was, it was fulfilled by this week's Parsha, must be that there's some kind of connection to the idea of taking his name out, specifically to this Parsha Tetzaveh. Especially, it would have been more, for, more fitting that to take his name out should be in a Parsha that comes after next week's Parsha. When did Moshe say, take my name out? In Parsha Kisisa, which is next week. In Parsha Kisisa, the whole story with the golden calf, that's where Moses says it. So the idea of taking his name out should have been in one of the portions after he says that threat, take my name out. In our Parsha, we technically don't even know that Moshe said this yet. You need to have the commentaries or you have to have your memory from last year. But how would you know that he said that? Said this? So we must say, we must conclude that the fact that his name is not in this week's Parsha must be something connected with the idea of ta- erasing his name out of his book. So we have to understand what is the connection of erasing his name to the Parsha, to Tzavah in specific, where it speaks about all kinds of other themes. It speaks in this week's Parsha, the beginning speaks about the lighting, the menorah in the temple. It talks about the making of the garments of, for the Kohenim. It talks about educating Aaron, the high priest, and his children. And at the end of the Parsha, it speaks about the building of the altar for the incense. So we have to understand what's the connection of this idea of erasing his name with this Parsha, which seemingly there's no connection. That's question number one. Another thing we have to understand is the intention that Moshe said. When we don't have Moshe's name in a Parsha, it doesn't mean that it's talking about Moshe himself. It means that Moshe doesn't want his name to be mentioned. Nevertheless, that means when Moshe says, take my name out, he means his name, right? But we find in this week's Parsha that even though his name is not there, there are many instructions that are said to him. As a matter of fact, the first words of the Parsha says, Ve'ata and you shall command. Who are we talking to? God's talking to Moshe. It doesn't say his name. It says, and you should say this. And many times in this week's Parsha, it says to him, you should say. So it doesn't say his name. And more, it, when it says, and you should say, what does it mean, and you should say? Who are we talking about? We're talking about him. That means we're talking about the essence of Moses has a commandment that he should say over something to Aaron or whoever he has to talk to. We understand that when you talk about a person, there's two ways to talk about a person. You could use their name, 
as the identity of who you're talking to about, or you could say this person or you without saying a name. When you say you, you're now going deeper than using the person's name. Right? You and I are going somewhere. You is more than just saying uh, a name. A name is just an identity that reveals the, who we're talking to. But once I know who I'm talking to, I go to the essence of the person himself. In other words, the name, when you use a name of a person, why does a person even have a name? You don't have a name for yourself. If you lived all alone, you wouldn't need to have a name. You only have a name so other people can call you and make an identity for you of who they're talking about. So that means that the essence of a person is even higher than a name. It's higher than even having a connection to the person who's calling or talking, or talking to you. Comes out that the way we fulfill the name of Moshe, of erasing his name, comes out that instead of saying his name, we're talking at, about him in even a higher level. So we didn't really accomplish by erasing his name. We erased only his physical name, which is his identity name. But the essence of him is mentioned even more. Because we're starting off saying, and you shall command. So we're talking about he himself, not just his identity card. So we have to understand what does it mean that we're fulfilling the idea what he said, erase my name. And the end is we're talking about him even deeper and more the essence about Moshe even more than using his name. So we don't say his physical name, but we're talking about more than just what a name represents. So to understand this, we go on a small ride to understand first the greatness of what was his request. Let's understand better what was Moses really asking. When he says, Erase my name from the book that you wrote. And as Rashi says, from the entire Torah, erase my name. He didn't mean just one portion. When he said that threat, he meant it fully, a full glance. But let's understand, what's the idea of Moshe? It says about Moshe, that the whole Torah is called Torah's Moshe. The whole Torah is, is the name, it's called Moses' Torah. Right? Why do we call the Torah with Moshe's name? So our sages teach us, they point out an interesting point. They say, because Moses did something for the Torah more than anybody else. In other words, it, what we, technically we should call the Torah God's Torah. But we don't. We say Torah's Moshe. Why? Because Moses, Moshe, gave his life over for the Torah with such a dedication that we already are, we even call the whole Torah on his name because he was so devoted to such an extent. So the whole Torah is called with his name. So when he says, erase my Torah from your name, that means we're talking about the essence of Moshe. The way he is one entity with the Torah. Because remember, we're already we're calling the whole Torah with his name. And now we're saying he's saying, erase my name. That means take my essence of the entire being of who I am, which is one thing with the Torah, take it, take it away, erase it. Why did Moshe have to go so far to such a far extent to take away his whole essence? He says, erase me completely from this Torah that I am one with. 
to be able to get God to atone for the sin of the golden calf. It's true, the golden calf is the biggest sin that exists. The idea to deny the existence of God is the worst, is, is worse than any other sin. You know, sometimes a person, you have a weak moment, and maybe you fall through on a certain commandment. But you're not denying the fact that God is your God. You just, you know, you fell through on one of his instructions. But it's not like you believe that he doesn't exist. A person that believes that God doesn't exist anymore and he, you make a, a whole new God, that's already considered to be the worst sin of all sins. As a matter of fact, the Torah says that later on it says that in next week's parish, actually, it says that any time Jews are going to sin, I'm going to remember the golden calf. In other words, it's so bad that you went to diff- you decided to create this new God. Anytime you do a sin, that's what it's going to remind me of, that how you were so disloyal to me. So we have to understand how is it possible that Moshe should give away, he should give himself so so much devoted with his in other words, he should risk the essence of himself, which is connected to the Torah. For a number of Jews, not all the Jews sinned on the golden calf, right? We know that the women didn't take part, the Levites didn't take part, but Moshe is willing to give away his whole essence of the Torah for a, just for a number of people that sinned with the golden calf. In other words, these for only a, a, a certain number of people that gave away their, their relationship with Hashem to such a, you know, went, fell so low for them, he should, it's true that they went away from the Torah, but therefore Moshe should go and risk his whole relationship with, of his whole essence, who he is with the Torah, which he's one, with, one thing with the Torah to the point that the whole Torah is called his name. So how, why is it? How is it? And how is it that Moshe should go on such a limb? Another thing we have to understand, what's the point of his whole thing that if you're not going to, if, if you're going to fulfill your thing of erasing all the Jews, erase my name from the whole book. What's the connection between these two things? If Hashem will not forgive the Jews, then take my name out of the Torah. What's the connection of these two points? Rashi explains that the, connect, the simple connection between the two points that Moshe is making is you, you kill them, take my name out, the reason why these are connected. So Rashi actually explains like this. Moshe wanted to make it clear that people should never say that I didn't stand up to get God's mercy on the people. Like people shouldn't underestimate what I was willing to do to save you. That's what he says. But what's not understood with that explanation is because from the wordings of the verse that he says that, and the words that got him, that God should atone for the sin of the golden calf had, did not express anything about himself. That I want to make sure that people don't think that I didn't try my best. He just said, erase my name from the book. So from the literal words of the Torah, we don't see that he was trying to protect his own honor. And another thing, when it's talking about not for, that God shouldn't fulfill, God forbid, the idea of forgiving everybody for their sin, the terrible, biggest sin, how could you compare 
what people are going to think about me, Moshe, the, the faithful shepherd, what people are going to say about me. In other words, how would that make any significant? You know how today in the modern world, people always say about leaders, they say, what are they going to write about you? What kind of legacy are you going to keep? We all understand that that's not a Jewish way of thinking. Jews don't do things with that intention. You do things because this is right or this is not right. That's the way you have to act or not act. You don't think, you don't do things based on what are they going to write about me? What are they going to put into my obituary? What are they going to write? What's it going to say on my stone? It's not a way how we think. So this idea that Rashi points out, that Moshe said this to Hashem, so that people won't say that I didn't go far enough to ask God for mercy, how is that any significant to the actual issue that he's trying to save the people? Why would he be thinking about himself like that? So all these questions leads us to start to analyze and understand what is Moshe's true relationship with the Torah and what is his true relationship with the Jewish people. Let's put everything on the table. You have Moshe that's communicating and talking with God. You have the Jewish people that are here sitting on the golden calf. And you have the Torah. Obviously, these are three major components here. We have to, we're forced to start to analyze and think a little bit deeper about this. And most important is going to be this amazing takeaway from this whole idea. So he says like this. Moshe was one thing with the Torah we mentioned that. But you should know that Moshe is also one thing with the Jewish people. To the point that Moshe and the Jews could not be separated. Not in a general sense and not in a particular sense. They couldn't be separated. Actually, Rashi says later on in Parsha Chukas, he says an interesting line. He says, Moshe, hu Yisrael, v'Yisrael, hey Moshe. Moshe is the Jews and the Jews is Moshe. It's one entity. We're not two different people. Moshe is the leader and we're just the followers. He's the, the, the shepherd and we're the sheep. No, no, no. We are one Entity together. Now, how do we understand this? Because Moshe felt that he's one thing with the Jews. Therefore, we find an interesting thing. Where was Moses when the Jews sinned the golden calf? He was up in heaven. Moshe told everybody, I'm going to be dad back down in 40 days. He said, I'm going to heaven for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the people miscalculated the numbers. You know, it's hard. Do you count the day he went up? Right? Is, is that a day counted as one day? Do you count the day he was supposed to come back down? Maybe you need to have 40 days in the middle, plus a day before. They, I, there's many ways that you could, you could count. Well, clearly they made a mistake. Moses is in heaven. And Hashem says, Moshe, Lech Raid, you better go back down right now. The people lost their minds. They're sitting in a golden calf. The commentaries say this expression where God said to him, go down. That's, those were the words he used. Lech raid, which means go and descend. This double expression. God should have just said, raid, go down. He could have just said, descend. 
He could have just said, go to the people. This double expression, go down, is to teach you an important thing. Moshe actually descended from his great level of holiness. Why would he have to lose something of his greatness? Because the Jews are sinning down on earth. Moshe's in heaven, they're sinning down here. Totally doesn't make sense. Moses clearly had no connection with the sin of the golden calf. He wasn't even there. When you're in a situation as the expression is if you're in a situation where you could rebuke somebody and you don't rebuke, yeah, you deserve a patch, right? But Moshe wasn't even there. Why are we blaming him? Why does he lose status of his great level because the people down here sinned? In other words, why does our sin down here affect Moshe when he's up there and he wasn't even in a place where he could communicate, talk to us? The answer is because Moshe and the people were one. We were one entity. We're a bonded people together. Therefore, his greatness was dependent on us and also his descending of his greatness is also dependent on us. Therefore, when we did a sin to the golden calf that automatically caused Moshe to have a a, a Yerida it's called a descending moment he gets lowered his rank gets lowered it was an automatic thing it wasn't like we did something and maybe it's going to affect his no when we did that automatically right away Moshe's level went down and that's because we're one entity with him this unity for Moshe with the people was actually even deeper than his relationship of his oneness with the Torah. Before we said that we called the Torah with Moshe's name, so we said that it's, he's one with the Torah. He, now he's pointing out that actually Moshe is deeper, much deeper connected with the Jews than he is even with the Torah. Just like we find that the Jews are connected with Hashem, even though it says that the Torah and Hashem is one entity. Why do we say that the Torah and Hashem is one entity? Because it says, it's a play on an acronym of the words that says, Anoichi, God said, I am your God. The word Anoichi has an acronym that says, God says, I put my soul into this writing. You know, think of it for a moment, like an author of a book. Right? How do you know the quality of an author, what he thinks, what kind of person he is? Is this a clean person, a holy person, uh, the opposite? So you look at what they write and you can see because an author puts their essence into what they write. So Hashem's essence is in the Torah. That's what Hashem says. My soul is in the Torah. Nevertheless, the oneness from Jews with Hashem is even deeper Deeper than the Torah is with Hashem. Amazing concept. The Torah is one with Hashem because Hashem says, I put my soul in the writing. I wrote the book. I'm the author. So I'm one with the book. Nevertheless, the connection of Hashem and the Jews is even deeper. How do we see this? There's a famous uh, discussion in, in uh, the Medrash and in another book called Tana Devei Leo, where there's a discussion, what comes first? The Torah or Jews? What was created first? Of course, there's God, right? 
and we have a Torah, and we have the Jews. So first, some sages came and said, well, the Torah was first. First you have the Torah, then you need to have the people that are going to study it and practice it. The other commentaries say, no, really the Jews came first. You know how I know? Because it says in the Torah, God spoke to the Jews. Well, that means we had to be here before the Torah was written. That means that the Jews are even closer to Hashem because we were here for longer and for before the Torah. So too, we find, not just by Moshe was he so close with the Torah, but nevertheless, he was even closer to the Jews and the Torah. We find this also by all leaders of the Jewish people, not just leaders, you know, political leaders, but Nesia Yisrael, the Nesia had there, those that lead the Jewish people. And as we know, there is a Nasi, Rashi brings down in, uh, we brought down earlier, I believe it was in Parsha Chukas, where Rashi brings down that, yeah, it was there. So Rashi said that the Nasi Hadar is equal like the entire generation. He the, gen, the leader of the generation is equal to the whole generation, meaning his unity with the Jews from every generation is one thing with the Torah. And I want to bring you a small story to illustrate this point that happened in 1986. 1986, we had the famous uh, court case of a, um, the Rebbe's nephew that stole books from the library. And the whole discussion was, was the library that the previous Rebbe collected his books, did it belong to the family, to him personally, or did it belong to the Hasidim? So if you say that the books of the library belong to the family, then the Rebbe's wife, who's a daughter of the previous Rebbe, also had a sister. So then the, the sisters are equal inheritors. But if you say the library belongs to the Hasidim, then the, both of the sisters have nothing to do with it. So the judge, the non-Jewish judge, his name was uh, Justice Sifton, so he said a fascinating thing. He was trying to analyze in the court case, is possessions in general, do possessions that belong to the, the leader of the Jewish people, are they his personally or do they belong to his disciples? In other words, does a true Nasi, a Rebbe, do they own anything that's theirs personally? Or is everything that they have, their whole, their whole essence is their people? And it's interesting that the judge concluded, uh, they actually had a, a deposition. They ordered a deposition and the Rebbe's wife, the Rebbetzin, had to speak and did this deposition. And in the deposition, they asked her these questions. And one of the questions they asked her, did your father ever own anything? And she said, the only thing my father owned was his pair of tefillin. Because my father, these are her words. She said, my father and the Hasidim were one thing. And the judge used this as his key point 
in his whole ruling. Because he got to learn that a Rebbe, and it, which is what we're saying here, the Nasi Hadar, is one with his people in such a deep way. They're one entity. And he brings down back into here that so too, it's by tzaddikim, righteous people in general, which are, it says that righteous people are like a reflection to the Creator. Even though they completely, they devote themselves into Torah concepts, obviously, that what they learn, what the, the novelty ideas that they, they come up with in Torah learning. Nevertheless, you cannot compare that to the level of how they are so bonded with the Jews, with the people. And especially to those people that have a specific connection to them. As we have the saying that says that you're supposed to care for everybody, but you're supposed to care for the poor of your city more than you care about the poor of the other city. In other words, it has to bother you more than your local people. So in other words... Your own students are the closest to you. You're close to everybody. But your own, the people that follow you are even more. They're your children. They're your students. Now we could, with this idea that we were able to understand that Moshe is more bonded with the Jewish people than he is even with the Torah. Even though the Torah he's bonded. But with the people even more, we could understand the explanation of what Moshe asked Hashem, erase my name from your book. Moshe says to himself, look, I have a choice. I could either have the Jews gone and have a Torah, or I could have my name out of the Torah, but I have the Jews. Here we see that Moshe was more connected to the people, and therefore he was able to say, take the essence of me out of your Torah. Because you see, when we took his name out, it's not just his name, we took out, we took out just his, his name out of it. Which means, but he's saying is, take my, erase my name. That's his connection with the Torah, but why was he willing to do that? For the sake of those that did the golden calf. Since his bond with the Jews is so, so much even higher than his bond with the Torah, therefore we have the outcome in two points. Number one, that even his sacrifice for the Jews was so high, even more than his sacrifice for the continuation of the Torah. And the Rebbe brings here in a brackets a fascinating story. He says there was uh, the Magid Mesharm, which I did a little research. It looks like it was a, a, an angel, actually. And he was like the teacher of the Yosef Cairo, the famous base Yosef, the one who wrote the famous Code of Jewish Law. We call it the base Yosef, Yosef Cairo. So it says that he always prayed in his heart. He used to pray always that he would love to merit to the honor that something should happen that he should be taken away from this world just to sanctify God's name. Like that's, you know, a very high thing to go on self-sacrifice, right? Rabbi Akiva died like that by the Romans. And we have, unfortunately, over the generations, even in our generation, even recently, we have those soldiers and people that they died for the sanctification of God's name just because they're a Jew. So Beis Yosef used to say this idea. He said, when will I merit to this level? But you know what? 
He never died for this purpose. He didn't. He had a, his life, he had a normal life, and as they say, he died from old age, you know? So, he never died for the purpose of saying, he, he didn't get that honor. So, the Magid Misharim said that because, for whatever certain reason, you were not, basically you were punished, that you weren't able to die for this great reason. But nevertheless, the outcome was that you stayed alive and you were able to write this amazing code of Jewish law, which became the basis to code of Jewish law for thousands and hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions of Jews that know now how to practice Torah. If he would have died at whatever age it would have been for sanctification of God's name, he would have not had the opportunity to write the, the Shulchan Aruch. Nevertheless, it's considered to be that giving up his life was considered to be like a punishment. It said for a certain reason you got a punishment and you weren't able to merit to that level. Why? The answer is because when you think about it, the greatness of writing the Torah doesn't come to the greatness of giving up your life for Hashem. That's why it was considered to be like a punishment that he didn't give up his life for Hashem. He didn't have that opportunity. In other words, no matter how high his devotion is in the Torah, it doesn't come to the level of self-sacrifice. Meaning self-sacrifice because you're a Jew. So we see here that Moshe's saying that the self-sacrifice that I want to keep the Jews alive is greater than having the Torah alive. I don't need my name in this Torah. More important to me is that the Jews should be alive. Now, by the way, you can now you understand why there was a video going around of a talk that the Rebbe gave where he speaks about different levels of self-sacrifice. And the Rebbe says that the foots, that the, even though people learning Torah is the greatest level for the safety of Israel, and it's such a high level, but the soldiers that are out there that fall in battle at like a sacrifice are even greater. That level's even greater. It's the highest level when the person gives up his life, even, not just spiritually, but even physically. It's not something that we run to do, but it's something that we're prepared to do. We're not supposed to run into fire or anything like that. That's not the point. The point is that... Th- if a person ends up going like that, it's a huge thing. So again, back to our case here. Number one is that Moshe says that I am willing to give up my honors with the Torah because I don't want to have that the Jews should die. Because that's the highest thing. That they shouldn't die because of a sin. Number two, the unity and therefore his sacrifice for every kind of Jew, no matter what kind of level a Jew is, even if a person is from the idol level. And that's because, why did he go on to sacrifice? Because the level of the Jew is even higher than the Torah. And therefore, he wasn't willing to have Jews die, even as we say the famous saying, even though one may did do a sin, they're still a Jew. 
You don't lose your Jewish identity because you did a sin. In this case, Hashem says, I'm going to kill them. Moshe says, no, that ain't going to happen. And this is what it means that Moshe says, if you're not going to forgive them for their sin, then erase my name. Because if the sin of the golden calf is so bad that the Torah doesn't give any room, doesn't give any room for a person to be able to do tshuva and so on. So Moshe says, take my name out from your book, from the Torah itself. Because in a revealed way, Moshe's essence is even higher than using even a name. And by having this unity of the Jews and Hashem, which is even higher than the unity that he has with the Torah, comes because of the bond that comes with Hashem's atonement. Even for it's kind of sin like a golden calf. And therefore, Moshe says this statement. So that's how we get to this, this thing on the bottom. Now, in a footnote, the Rebbe points out that we find a very interesting thing when it comes to self-sacrifice. It's brought down, this idea comes from the Tanya in chapter 18, where the Alter Rebbe explains that the bond that a Jew has with God is so deep that even a Jew who's not an observant Jew when it comes to the essence of who they are, like, you know, bow to this thing or give up your life, a Jew who's not even an observant Jew will say, no, I'm going to give up my life. Why is that? Because the essence of the person, right? If you look around at other, uh, let's call them other religions that are out there in the world, it's who are the people that are willing to give up their lives? It's people that are so committed to that religion or whatever ideology it is, but it's only the people that are religious to it and are practicing it. By Yiddishkeit, it's not like that. It's nothing to do with practice because the Yiddishkeit, the relationship that you have is not about whether you practice. Practicing Yiddishkeit is an expression of your relationship with Hashem. This, the, the fact that you have a, a, a God that's your, that's your God, that is an ex- that is not just the expression, that is the essence of who you actually are completely. Now, based on all of this, we understand why Moshe says, erase me, and why was it fulfilled in this week's Parsha? Why this week? Remember, we asked in the beginning of the Sicha that seemingly you could have chose any Parsha for this to take his name out. And we said, why didn't you pick a Parsha? Later, after where it has this dialogue with Hashem, take my name out. Why was it chosen in Parsha Tetzava? The answer is, this bond, this unique bond that Moshe had with all of Jews, which is even higher than the Torah itself, gets expressed specifically in our Parsha. Because it says like this, the first few words of the parsha read like this: "The Ata Tetzava, and you shall command." What does the word Tetzava simply mean? It means command, but Tetzava also has another interpretation. Tetzava means Tzavta Vichibur, which means bonding. You should command, meaning you should bond, rope it in, all the Jews as one existence. So when I say va'ato tetzava, Hashem is saying, and you shall command, it means and you shall bond up all the Jews. When you talk about the level of Moshe, you could say 
a level that's connected to a name. As we know, we have many names from many parts of who we are. You have a name that's an identity of the person, right? You could say, hey, Yankel. You're trying to call a person's name, right? In this case, Maisha, right? Now, you also have five parts to your soul. Every person has five, your soul has five components. You have this, a level called Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Yechida is the highest level. Yechida is the oneness that connects your soul and you. That's such a deep level, that level of oneness that's so unique that actually that level doesn't really linger around and express itself in your body unless it gets pushed to the corner. If you get pushed to the corner that you have to give up your life because you're a Jew, that's when your Yechida part pops up. You know, I remember once uh, a friend of mine once uh, was involved in this, uh, there was a guy, he was a Kohen, and he was uh, he wanted to marry this convert girl. This girl was a perfect, 100% orthodox convert. But this guy was a Kohen. And a Kohen is not allowed to marry a convert. So he went once to a Bestin in New York, and this Bestin said that if you're willing to in- denounce your Kohen rights in front of the court, from now on you won't be counted as a Kohen, then you're you basically will count you from now on as an Israelite. And okay, so it's a certain opinion. There are many that go with this opinion. But what's interesting is this guy was a secular Jew. He was not an observant Jew. But when the Bethden told him this thing, he was shaking. He had to think about it. It took him a couple of weeks to come back with his, with his answer. It doesn't even matter so much what his answer is. But the point is that it bothered him, his Yechida. That piece of his soul, his oneness that's so deep with his soul, all of a sudden awakened him and he said, what? I should give up my coin? He couldn't imagine. But what do you mean? This guy never comes to synagogue to duchnin, to do his coin blessings, nothing. All of a sudden it bothered him. The, and you could say this about many Jews. It never bothered, oh, Shem Kippur, boom, you woke up, it's, you're a Jew? What happened? Right? Or now in the war, right? We all know people that never really expressed themselves about their being a Jewish. Came to war all of a sudden. There's something on fire. There's something that woke up. People out there, these terrorists came and they poked us in the essence and it awoke us. This Yechida is there. It's deep down inside. Jews are willing to do anything for one each other because it hits a core with even that part. But the point here is what he's saying is that even that part of your soul has a name. It says there are five names to the soul. Now again, a name is an identity. Here Hashem says, when they talk about names, there's a difference of one person and another person. This person is Chaim, this guy's Yankel, and this girl, woman is Sarah, that's Rivka, and so on and so forth. Everybody has a name and an identity, and there's differences. But when Hashem says, and you shall command, doesn't say any names. He's now talking about you should bond the essence of everybody together. So it's specifically in a Parsha that says these words, and you, meaning your essence, which is higher than any name. Because again, a name is only the revelation of the identity of who it is. It's an expression for somebody else needs to have a name. But when you talk about you, you means already a whole different level. It means the essence itself. And in more spirituality, we're talking about God. It's very interesting. When you say 
an expression about God, you could use names. Hashem has a lot of names. But when you say, thank God, there you're going to the essence of God. That's why people say, and it slips on people's tongue all the time in a good way. You say, how are you doing? Say, thank God. Wow, that's amazing. You're recognizing the essence of the relationship that you have with Hashem. Not even talking about a low name, a this, a Shaddai, or whatever a name. Right? You don't say, oh, thank you, thanks Shaddai, or whatever. You don't pick names. Because you, you're talking about the essence of Hashem Himself. That level could successfully bond everybody together. Even a person who's the lowest and sinned on the lowest kind of sin possible of, of going to a golden calf. Now, this is also what's connected to the next words in the parish. It says, and you should bond them, and you should command to them, you should bring them together. And the next word says, tell them, Hashem telling Moshe, right? Without his name. He's saying, you tell them that they should bring the olive oil that's squeezed out, right? We know all this from a different mimer, right? That, that the squeezed out is because well, squeezed out is the best, purest oil comes from it squeezed really strong, you know? So he, he tell them that they should bring the oil to you. That totally doesn't make sense. Who's the one that took the oil to light it in the menorah? Aaron. Why did Hashem say, tell them that they should bring you the oil? Why does the oil have to go to Moshe? What does Moshe got to do with the oil? They should take it to you. The explanation that's brought down is all over in Hasidic Maimarim. It says, Aaron himself was able to affect the Jews to become candles. That's, he, that was his idea, to light the candles. Seven branches represented seven different kinds of Jews. He had to light them with the light, near mitzvah, the candle of the mitzvah, and the light of the Torah. So Aaron is talking about Jews that actually have a connection to practicing the mitzvahs and doing Torah. They're already a candle. But through Moshe, we were able also to reach to the Jews that are even lower, that have no connection even to studying Torah or practicing mitzvahs. That's why Hashem says, tell them that they should bring the oil to you. Because only Moses' level is connected to a level without even any names. It's the essence itself. At the essence level, we're all in this together. We're all equal in it together. So Aaron was very amazing because he lit the menorah. He lit the level of the people that are already a candle. Now he had to light you. But Moshe is called the Nasi Hadar. He was the true leader that was able to light the spark of the essence of every Jew, even the big sinners. Which is an amazing thing when you think about this. And by the way, a lot of people always ask, in our generation, right, the leader of the Jewish people, we had the Rebbe, and people always ask, how did the Rebbe have such a, a tolerance for every kind of Jew, not just a person that learns Torah and does mitzvahs, that were, so to speak, you could think that they're on the same you know, level or some degree. He even had such patience and gave so much time to the most simplest person. Like, you know, the story of the woman that once asked the Rebbe on Sunday dollars and said, how do you stand on your feet all day? Why don't you sit down and rest and give out the dollars and the blessings sitting? And the Rebbe once said that when you're counting diamonds, you don't get tired. He looked at every Yid like that. So this is a thing of a Moshe Rabbeinu. 
that only when you talk about the essence, everybody is so pure and amazing. And that's why it says in the Parsha, tell them to take the oil to you because it has to go through you. You give it to Aaron, that's okay. But it needs to go through you because you're the one that could light up everybody, no matter their level. And based on this, we can also understand the rest of the whole parsha. That's just the first few words of the parsha. But as I mentioned before, the parsha talks about the garments of the Kohen and many other details. What happened here, the rest of the parsha, how's that connected to? So in the whole story, we talk about the garments of Aaron and his children and how it would have to be done through Moshe. As it's like it says, and you, again, talking to Moshe, bring them closer. Make them into the Kohens. Tell them the practices that they have to do. You tell them how to make the garments for Aaron, your brother, and so on. And all the education for the Kohen had to come through Moshe. Everything had to come through Moshe. Why is that? Why did it have to go through him? So one of the reasons is, just like we said before in the lighting of the menorah, Aaron himself, his whole idea was to be the Kohen, the sanctify the tabernacle, the Mishkan, Therefore, his service had to do with the holy areas of practicing. So that would be a connection only to the people that are serving God, the holier people. Meaning the people that have a relationship with God in a revealed way. But when you have to bring them close, ah, now we're talking about the essence. So now we understand it's also including every Jew, even the biggest sinners. And this is also from the reasons why, right after he dedicated Aaron, it says the commandment about the altar that had the incense on it. Seemingly, it totally doesn't make sense. The altar that had the incense, right, there was the golden altar. It was a smaller altar. It wasn't the one you brought up all the offerings that had the big ramp. It was a small altar. That altar is called the inner altar. The big altar that had the coins go up there and they, they walked up the ramp and they brought their offerings and they had the fire on it. That's the outer altar. But the inner one, was is meant about the incense is brought down in this parsha. Doesn't make sense. Last week's parsha in Turuma, we mentioned all the furniture or the props that was in the temple. Why all of a sudden only now are we talking about that inner golden altar called the altar for the incense, the Mizbeach, that Maktikteris, the altar that you brought up the incense? And the answer is because this idea that Aaron was the coin was connected now to all the Jews, is expressed through the Ketiris, through the incense. Why? Like it says that, it says that all, every, any fast, that Jews fast, that you don't have amongst the fasters some sinners fasting, you didn't do a good fast. That means you had to have certain components in your fast that include also the lower level of Jews, Jews that are not involved in their Torah and mitzvahs. Like we see in the incense, we have to bring 11 kinds of incense. We say it every Shabbos and Shul, right? So let me just tell you the name of this incense. One of them, one of the 11 incense is called the Chalbaina. The Chalbaina is a very, very bad smelling kind of, of of incense. What's it called? Galbanum. The galbanum, yes. Thank you. So the galbanum is a very bad smell. Why did we have that smell? Shouldn't we just bring things that have a very good smell? 
And the answer is, each one of the incense represented another category of Jews. So we wanted to include also a person that has a bad smell. Meaning that his Torah and mitzvahs is unfortunately so far, in the meantime, it's got a bad odor. As the person would practice it more and better, it would have a good odor. But the point is that we're focusing on including every kind of level. And especially, we find something interesting. That on Yom Kippur, it says that, that on Yom Kippur, we would specifically have a special ceremonies with bringing up the incense. Like it says at the end of today's parsha, that Aaron would atone for everybody on the corners of this altar. Once a year, he would come out to honor everybody. Deva brings in a footnote, which is interesting, because he says, he points out that specifically on Yom Kippur is when we make a special announcement right after, right before the Kol Nidre. You say that Matirim Yanim. We're permitted now to pray together with the sinners. Special declaration on Yom Kippur. Why? Because we want to show that even a person that sinned, that's just an external thing of the person. His essence is so pure that no problem, we could pray here together. And from here, we, we deduce, as the Rebbe uses the words, nifla, which means a wondrous lesson in our service to Hashem. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu, he was prepared to give up great high levels of his connection with the Torah. For who? For the Jews. And also for the sinners of the golden calf. That shows much higher level in the commandment of love your fellow as much as you love yourself. If it would be as much as I love myself, Moshe could have said, as much as I love myself, I love the Torah. So I'm willing to love you as much as I love myself. Moshe here showed a level of loving your fellow even more than he loved himself. Because he loved the Torah. He was one with the Torah. But he said, for you, for the Yidin, ah, there I'm willing to go even that extra mile, even more than I love myself. So too we find by the faithful shepherd. As a faithful shepherd, it says Moshe Rabbeinu was a faithful shepherd. That's why God chose him to be the leader of the people because this, the Medr tells us the story that he once saw, that Hashem saw that when he was shepherding his sheep, one sheep went off, uh, ran away from the group and he ran after that sheep, put it on his shoulders, brought it back. Hashem said somebody that cares about even one lost sheep, that's the person that should be a leader, right? The person that cares so much. So this, if, a, if the leader of a faithful shepherd should do this, that gives the strength to every Jew in every time and in every place that we should conduct ourselves the same way. And this was Moshe's argument. If you're not going to forgive, God forbid, those that did a sin, and you're going to leave my name in your book, they're going to say that I didn't try my best. Why was he so concerned about this that they didn't try my best? Because he didn't want that he, he, they're going to say that he didn't sacrifice himself enough that his name should even be erased. And then, what's the problem of that? Not because he was worried about his own ego. He was worried what's going to be the message. He was worried that people are going to take a message that you don't have to go on a sacrifice for another Jew. You're going to limit your sacrifice. So the lesson here is for every person that it's not enough to have Avos Yisrael. But 
every Jew to every single Jew and what kind of situation they are. You have to, it's not enough to have obviously Israel to love your fellow like you love yourself. But here we're saying you have to go on a sacrifice for another person. And this is something that we have to go on a sacrifice to love every creation and bring them closer to the Torah. And this is the amazing lesson that we see here. That to him, the love that he had for another Jew was deeper, deeper than the Torah. And that expressed itself only because his, the essence of the relationship that he had with everybody was so deep. And with this, we conclude the Stisicha. Whoever has any questions or anything to add, please uh, feel free to add that.